Well, throughout Lent, this year we're going to be focusing on a large, mini, a large series, not a large mini-series, that doesn't exist, a large series that we're going to be calling The Way to the Cross. We're going to be talking about the different topics that come up in what traditional theological circles call the way of salvation. And before we get into that, though, we're going to be starting off with a, a little mini-series, a three-week mini-series, talking about temptation. Specifically talking about the temptation that Jesus encountered when he was in the wilderness in this passage that we read today from the, the Gospel of Matthew. And throughout this mini-series, we're going to focus on all of these different sorts of temptations that we as Christians face in light of the way that Jesus handled them out in the wilderness. These three weeks, we're going to be dealing with the ideas of not having enough, of the ways that we try to control God, and of the way that we often try to sell out ourselves or sell out our souls in order to get ahead in this world. I'm really looking forward to digging into this series throughout the next three weeks, because if there's one thing that creates a constant battle and constant struggle in our lives, just in our everyday lives and in our lives as Christians, it is temptation. Temptation's always there, and it always looks so good. And it's interesting that when you start studying about other religions and how temptation plays such a key role in all of them, it starts to bring some things a little more into focus. Many of the religions throughout the world, at least the dualistic ones, the ones that focus on the good and the bad, they end up trying to find some way of tying temptation into them. In Hinduism, there's this concept referred to as maya. Now, my eye refers to illusion or temptation or that which distorts. It's the negative driving force in Hinduism. You can find traces of that sort of thinking in almost every single religion that there has ever been. This idea of of illusion, of distortion, of temptation that does that. In Christianity, we often think of, of Satan as being evil, adulterous, murderous, whatever you may want to attach to him. But we find that Satan gains most of his traction throughout the Bible through use of temptation. Through use of temptation, it's one of those things that's always been around. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, we find that it was there. And if we start looking for temptation throughout the Bible the rest of the way, we find that it's been there all along. Matthew writes that Jesus was led up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil at the Spirit's urging. Why would the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the tempter? This seems like a really strange thing for the Spirit of God to be doing. There must be something to be gained from being tempted, right? Why else would Jesus walk right into it? I think that Jesus walks right into this series of temptations for a couple of reasons. He walks into the wilderness where the tempter can tempt him because God needed to know what it was like for us to experience temptation. Jesus is God in the flesh, God's Son. Jesus was one of us, and we all face temptation. Temptation is a reality of the life that we live in as human beings. And because Jesus was both fully God and fully human, fully one of us, He had to be tempted. It's part of his humanity. I think he also walked into the wilderness to be tempted by the tempter because he needed to show those of us who are reading the story thousands of years later that it is possible to overcome temptation. But Jesus does this in a very interesting way. He shows us that the way to overcome it completely is by completely orienting our will toward that of God's. It doesn't mean the temptation is not going to be there, but it does mean that with God's help, we'll have the strength and what it is that we need to get through it together. Satan didn't come to Jesus immediately in the wilderness. It didn't happen immediately. Satan didn't show up until Jesus was 40 days into the wilderness, into his journey. He didn't show up until Jesus was very, very tired, very, very hungry, and very, very weak. Satan waited to show up at exactly the time when Jesus would have been at his most vulnerable. 
And Satan doesn't tempt Jesus until that temptation can look as good as it possibly can look. Just imagine that you've been walking around in the desert. You've been walking around in the desert for 40 days, and you've been fasting that entire time. It's almost impossible for me to imagine that. If I miss a meal or or I don't eat for five hours, I start getting a headache and I get cranky and have trouble formulating words. Needless to say, after a few days without food, yeah, I do. After a few days without food, I'm going to be in a position to make some really bad decisions. And I'm sure that most of us, after 40 days of not eating, we're not really going, we're going to be able to be influenced by whoever it is that's tempting us to do whatever it is they're tempting us to do. And so the tempter comes to Jesus and says, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, make these stones all around you become loaves of bread. If you're the Son of God, you can do all of this. You can end the suffering. The tempter offers Jesus the one thing that we think Jesus absolutely has to have. Satan tempts Jesus by whispering to him that he might not have enough. Surely he might not have enough food. He's in the midst of a desert, in the midst of a wilderness, a barren place that's not really good for anything. Satan's whispering that Jesus might not have enough strength of spirit to continue his journey in the wilderness with God. Oh, Jesus, are you sure that you want to keep going on this journey that you're on? Are you sure you want to keep doing this? Don't you think there might be an easier way? Why are you starving yourself? Aren't you hungry? It doesn't seem like God's with you and providing for you right now, does it? There's a lot of times that this is the way that we encounter temptation in our life. Very rarely do we find temptations, the real temptations, the ones that we struggle with constantly, day in and day out. Very rarely do, we, do they come to us when we feel like we have the capacity to handle them? The temptation to believe that we don't have enough tends to be one of those topics that tops our list more often than not. I got to thinking about what the top three things are that we face as far as temptation goes when it comes to not having enough, both as Christians and just as human beings. And first, the first one that topped my list was we struggle with thinking that we don't have enough resources. We struggle with thinking we don't have enough resources. Resources, that can be any number of things. It can be money. It can be contacts. It can be home. It can be be anything. Resources are a big deal because without them, we can't really do much of anything else. We have to have things like food and shelter and clothing. These are things that are necessities. For some of us, we might be struggling with maintaining those necessities or having them at all. For others of us, We might believe that the food that we eat or the home that we live in or the the car that we drive or the clothes that we wear just aren't as good as they need to be in order to fit in with the groups of people that we would like to fit in with. For some people, that's just as important as meeting the basic needs. The problem is when we face the temptation of believing that we don't have enough or that what we have is not good enough, it influences the way that we think about God. Particularly, it influences the way that we trust God. Have you ever thought about your view of the basic resources that you have in your life and how how that might affect the way that you view God? The two are more connected than we usually like to think. I was watching TV this past week. I don't remember what the show was, but, but the person on the show was talking about water and how water is so vital to everyday life and how water, you have to have it. But some people can't find it anywhere. 
Some people live in places where you can't just go to a, a water faucet and turn on the spigot and have water right there at your fingertips. Some people have to work incredibly hard day in and day out just to have barely enough water to survive. I have a confession to make. I'm one of those terrible people that leaves the water trickling while I brush my teeth. I'm trying to do a little better with it. I am. But I find that it still happens occasionally. And this past week as I was brushing my teeth and I was watching that water as it ran into the sink, I was thinking, people in other parts of the world pray to God for the amount of water that I am letting run down the sink right now. I'm just letting it go away. I take it for granted. This is one of those basic necessities of life. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't think any more about it. There it goes. And that's what... Some of these people center their entire existence around finding water. What if I were one of those people? What if any of us were one of those people? What if we were in a position that required that we trust God a little more for our basic necessities from day to day? Would we be as tempted to think that we don't have enough? See, I could have nicer clothes. I could have a bigger house. I could have a job that makes more money. I could have any of these sorts of things. And there can always be more. There always can be more. And if we really get to thinking about it, there's never a time when we can have enough, really, if we start thinking there can always be more. That's what the tempter likes to whisper into our hearts. You don't have enough resources to get through your day. What you have is not quite good enough. That person over there, theirs is just a little nicer. Yours isn't quite as good. The second thing that we're tempted to believe that we don't have enough of is time. Just having 24 hours in the day doesn't seem like enough a lot of days. It doesn't matter how tired we are. I don't know that we could handle having any more time in our day a lot of days. But 24 hours in a day just does not seem like enough time. We have to sleep. We have to go to work. We have to drive to and from work. We've got to shower. We've got to, to do whatever else it is that we, we have to get ready for during the day. We have to actually work. We have to go pick up the kids from school. We have to give them baths, make sure homework's done. And before we know it, we're already in the next day before this day's even finished. And then the cycle goes over and over and over. And no matter what we do, we're always going to think we never have enough time. Where is the time that we need to serve God? One of my good friends is a pastor in Mount Pleasant. We were talking on the phone one day. And I was complaining to him that there just was not enough time for me to get done what needed to be done on my to-do list. Never mind that I was actually on the phone doing nothing other than complaining about not having enough time to do this sort of stuff. Walter told me to quit being so ungrateful. He just said, quit being so ungrateful. It sounds to me like you're spoiled. I thought, well, that's sobering enough. See, God didn't have to give you the time that he has given you. He didn't have to give you any of it. Let me tell you something that a wise old pastor told me last year when I began my ministry. At the end of the day, don't spend so much time praying that God's going to give you more time to get more stuff done. Spend a little more time giving God thanks that God gave you the time that he gave you to get done what you were able to get done. And you say thank you for that. And if God sees fit to give you more time, you'll have more time. See, we try to turn time into a commodity. We want it to be a physical thing that can be bought or bought or sold or traded. But time, it's more of a perspective, really. The amount of it that you have looks different depending on the perspective that you have when you look at it. If we look at the time that we have as a gift from God rather than a commodity, a commodity that we can make more of or that we can buy more of or that we can trade for more of, 
would it change the way that we approach it? Would it change what we do with it? Would we waste so much of that precious time that we don't seem to have enough of on Facebook? Would we drink so much of that time away? Would we complain about those precious seconds that we don't believe we have instead of trying to find useful ways to use them? You just don't have the time that you need to serve God today. Maybe tomorrow is what the tempter whispers to us. Finally, the the third thing that we're tempted to believe that we don't have enough of is faith. Now, this is a big one. And if we examine our own hearts, every single one of us, we can find someone or we can think of someone who is more faithful than we are. That's not me slamming any of us. That's just the truth of the matter. There's always someone who is more faithful than we are. It's a fact of life. Because of that, the tempter knows that this is a weak spot in our lives. We're always going to feel like our faith isn't strong enough. We're always going to feel like there's somebody else who is more worthy of God's love because their faith is stronger. We're just going to feel like our faith is not enough. And he can whisper to us that that person wouldn't question this or that or Or that person's faith seems just a little stronger. Maybe yours isn't quite enough. But you see, the problem with this line of thinking is that it starts placing our salvation on our shoulders instead of on God's grace. That's exactly what the tempter was doing when he told Jesus to command the stones to become bread. Become bread so that you can eat here in this wilderness. He's trying to, to poke at that weak spot that he thinks Jesus has. The temptation to think that his faith might be strong enough. And after 40 days... It might be able to to be penetrated, that faith of Christ. Jesus said, it's not up to me. If I could survive by myself, I'd already be eating a sandwich. This wouldn't be an issue. What I can do isn't enough apart from God. No matter what I do apart from God, it's never going to be enough. But God, what God can provide for me, you see, that's exactly what I need. It's the same thing with us. There's nothing we can do apart from God that's going to be enough. We've got to have God's grace in order to make it. That's that's a good example for us to follow. There are a lot of things that we can do for ourselves. We can make a lot of money. We can have a big house. We can have a fancy car. We can have power. We can have respect. We can raise the smartest children. We can even go to church every Sunday of our lives. But we cannot get to heaven on our own, no matter how hard we try. What we can do is take in the Word of God. What we can do is to take that faith that we have, no matter how big it is, no matter how small it is, no matter if you don't feel like you have any at all, and you can nurture it. And it will grow. It will mature. Your relationship with God will grow, and it will mature. We can pray. We can read Scripture. We can attend small groups. We can come to worship together. That faith will grow. That Word of God that comes to us, it will start talking to us just a little bit louder than the whisper of that tempter that we encounter every day. When the voice of the tempter says, your stuff isn't good enough, people will laugh at you. You're not good enough. People will laugh at you. You'll start hearing God say, you're more than good enough. You're just the way I made you. What you have is more than you need. And when the tempter says, wait until tomorrow, you don't have time to start anything today. You don't want to get in the middle of something and not be able to finish it. There's always tomorrow. You'll start hearing the voice of God just a little more clearly and a little more loudly. That's a word. 
when Joshua needed more time. I caused the sun and the moon to stop in the sky. Just imagine with you what I can do with that time that you have. When the tempter says, God's abandoned you. You're all alone. Who's with you now? Me. Your God doesn't care about you. I do. You'll hear the voice of God splashing over you like the ocean on top of the sand. I've always loved you. I have always loved you. Your faith may not be what you want it to be today, but my love for you is unending. It's unshakable. Never question that. My love for you is more than enough. See, there's a lot of things that we can be tempted to believe that we don't have enough of. But here's the thing that Jesus teaches us. When we find ourselves in the wilderness, where there is nothing but God and us, we find that we don't need anything other than God. God is all we need. Other things can make our lives more comfortable, more pleasant, even more fun. But they can also make our lives a lot more complicated. They really can. We can't live by bread alone. We find that when we feast on every word from the one who causes the sun to shine or the mountains to quake, that's when we feel full. We come alive when we take in the grace and mercy of of the one who caused the blind to see and who ate in the home of sinners. We experience a full and abundant life when we walk in the footsteps of our King. There's always enough. When we focus all of our effort, all of our energy, all of our hearts and our souls on that love that God has shown to each one of us and continues to show to us each day, when we focus all of our attention on that and on trying to reflect that love to all of God's creation, there's always more than any of us could ever use. There's more love than any of us could ever need. There's more than enough. 